Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley. And today we are going to begin the fourth article in the Apostles' Creed as it's set forth in this catechism. The words are, Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. And in the Latin we have, Passus sub Pontio Pilato, crucifixus mortuus et sepultus. And so, as we always do, let's begin by reading the um, Catechism, uh, which divides this article into two parts. The first subheading, though, that we have is the importance of this article. How necessary is a knowledge of this article, and how assiduous the pastor should be in stirring up in the minds of the faithful the frequent recollection of our Lord's passion. We learn from the Apostle when he says that he knows nothing but Jesus Christ, and him crucified. The pastor, therefore, should exercise the greatest care and pains in giving a thorough explanation of this subject, in order that the faithful, being moved by the remembrance of so great a benefit, may give themselves entirely to the contemplation of the goodness and love of God toward us. And the next subheading is the first part of this article, Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. The first part of this article, of the second we shall treat hereafter, proposes for our belief that when Pontius Pilate governed the province of Judea under Tiberius Caesar, Christ the Lord was nailed to a cross. Having been seized, mocked, outraged, and tortured in various forms, he was finally crucified. And it continues with the subheading, Suffered. It cannot be a matter of doubt that his soul, as to its inferior part, was sensible of these torments. For as he really assumed human nature, it is a necessary consequence that he really, and in his soul, experienced a most acute sense of pain. Hence these words of the Savior, My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Although human nature was united to the divine person, he felt the bitterness of his passion as acutely as if no such union had existed, because in the one person of Jesus Christ were preserved the properties of both natures, human and divine. And therefore what was passable and mortal remained passable and mortal, while what was impassable and immortal, that is, his divine nature, continued impassable and immortal. Under Pontius Pilate, since we find it here so diligently recorded that Jesus Christ suffered when Pontius Pilate was procurator of Judea, the pastor should explain the reason. By fixing the time, which we find also done by the Apostle Paul, so important and so necessary an event is rendered more easily ascertainable by all. Furthermore, those words show that the Savior's prediction was really verified. They shall deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified. And then we have the words, was crucified. The fact that he suffered death precisely on the wood of the cross must also be attributed to a particular counsel of God, which decreed that life should return by the way whence death had arisen. The serpent who had triumphed over our first parents by the wood of a tree, was vanquished by Christ on the wood of the cross. 
Many other reasons which the fathers have discussed in detail might be adduced to show that it was fit that our Redeemer should suffer death on the cross, rather than in any other way. But as the pastor will show, it is enough for the faithful to believe that this kind of death was chosen by the Savior, because it appeared better adapted and more appropriate to the redemption of the human race. For there certainly would be none more ignominious and humiliating. Not only among the Gentiles was the punishment of the cross held accursed and full of shame and infamy, but even in the law of Moses, the man is called accursed that hangeth on a tree. In the final two sections, we have the heading, The Importance of the History of the Passion. Furthermore, the pastor should not omit the historical part of this article, which has been so carefully set forth by the holy evangelist so that the faithful may be acquainted with at least the principal points of this mystery, that is to say, such as seem more necessary to confirm the truth of our faith. For it is on this article, as on their foundation, that the Christian faith and religion rest. And if this truth be firmly established, all the rest is secure. Indeed, if one thing more than another presents difficulty to the mind and the understanding of man, assuredly it is the mystery of the cross, which beyond all doubt must be considered the most difficult of all. So much so that only with great difficulty can we grasp the fact that our salvation depends on the cross and on him who for us was nailed thereon. In this, however, as the apostle teaches, we may well admire the wonderful providence of God, for seeing that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It is no wonder then that the prophets before the coming of Christ and the apostles after his death and resurrection labored so strenuously to convince mankind that he was the redeemer of the world and to bring them under the power and obedience of the crucified. And finally we have the section figures and prophecies of the passion and death of the Savior. Since, therefore, nothing is so far above the reach of human reason as the mystery of the cross, the Lord, immediately after the fall, ceased not, both by figures and prophecies, to signify the death by which his son was to die. To mention a few of these types, first of all, Abel, who fell a victim of the envy of his brother, Isaac, who was commanded to be offered in sacrifice, the lamb immolated by the Jews on their departure from Egypt, and also the brazen serpent lifted up by Moses in the desert, were all figures of the passion and death of Christ the Lord. As to the prophets, how many there were who foretold Christ's passion and death is too well known to require development here, not to speak of David, whose psalms embrace all the principal mysteries of redemption. The oracles of Isaiah, in particular, are so clear and graphic that he might be said rather to have recorded a past than predicted a future event. And there we have the conclusion of this first treatment of the first part of the fourth article. The words suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified. Those are the, that's the first part of article four, the, art, the fourth article of the faith of the Apostles' Creed. And then um, the second part of this article is dead and buried. So the Catechism divides this article into those two parts. 
But let's just make a few comments about this first part. Um, it's interesting that the Catechism focuses on the words under Pontius Pilate and gives us two reasons for why those words are important in the, in the Apostles' Creed. And the first reason was that since this is such a significant article of faith, in fact, um, asserting that this is really an article of faith upon which our entire the Christian religion uh, ex, uh, is founded. Therefore, they say that because it's so um, important, then to actually list the, um, the fact that it's under Pontius Pilate, during the reign of Pontius Pilate, this gives us sort of a historical ascertainability, as it says, that um, anyone can um, look at the history books and find that Pontius Pilate was a real uh, procurator in Judea in the um, around um, the year 6 AD, um, or, or rather around the year 27, he apparently he reigned um, in those first uh, several decades of the, of the very first century. So, um, so he is, in fact, a historical person, and his life and some of his deeds, although they're not, uh, there's not a great deal, they are recorded by um, these historians Philo and Flavius Josephus. And uh, so there, there is a his, historicity here, a um, historical uh, uh, accuracy that, that anyone can uh, look at and see that, um, that this important article of faith is grounded in, in historical fact. And so that's, that's one reason. Uh, the second reason that they give is that this the fact that Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate also um, verifies his own our, uh, our Lord's own prediction that when Scripture says they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified. So those are the two reasons that the Catechism gives for those two words. Um, the next. Um, thing that the Catechism does is it talks about the fact that he was crucified on a cross and and in our footnotes we can see a reference to the Summa Theologica where St. Thomas Aquinas treats of the Passion of Christ in the third part again in, in the uh, questions 46 through 49 St. Thomas talks all about uh, the Passion of Christ and there we find a very interesting article. I mean, all of them are interesting, of course, but the the um, the one that appealed to me particularly was the article in question 46, article 4, in which St. Thomas asks whether Christ ought to have suffered on the cross. And I thought it would be uh, great to read that because St. Thomas gives us, I think he gives us seven reasons why the death on the cross was so um, appropriate. And so he begins, that he says, I answer, it was most fitting that Christ should suffer the death of, of the cross, first of all, as an example of virtue. For Augustine thus writes, God's wisdom became man to give us an example in righteousness of living, but it is part of righteous living not to stand in fear of things which ought not to be feared. 
Now there are some men who, although they do not fear death in itself, are yet troubled over the manner of their death. In order then that no kind of death should trouble an upright man, the cross of this man had to be set before him, because among all kinds of death none was more execrable, more fear-inspiring than this. And so that's the first reason that our Lord gives us an example that no kind of death should be feared by the upright man. The second reason, he says, secondly, because this kind of death was especially suitable in order to atone for the sin of our first parent, which was the plucking of the apple from the forbidden tree against God's command. And so to atone for that sin, it was fitting that Christ should suffer by being fastened to a tree as if restoring what Adam had purloined, according to the, according to the Psalm 68, verse 5, Then did I pay that which I took not away. Hence, Augustine says in a sermon on the Passion, Adam despised the command, plucking the apple from the tree, but all that Adam lost, Christ found upon the cross. And so that's an excellent reason as well, that uh, just as Adam plucked the apple from the tree, so our Lord uh, was fastened to the tree as a sort of uh, divine justice or atonement. The third reason, says St. Thomas, is because, as Christendom says in a sermon on the Passion, he suffered upon a high rood and not under a roof, in order that the nature of the air might be purified, and the earth felt a like benefit, for it was cleansed by the flowing of the blood from his side. And on John chapter 3, verse 14, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Theophylactus says, When you hear that he was lifted up, understand his hanging on high, that he might sanctify the air who had sanctified the earth by walking upon it. So the third reason there is that uh, the cross was very appropriate so that our Lord could not only sanctify the earth, but also the air. The fourth reason is because by dying on it, he prepares for us an ascent into heaven, as Christendom says. Hence it is that he says, this is John chapter 12, verse 32, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all things to myself. The fifth reason is because it is befitting the universal salvation of the entire world. Hence Gregory of Nyssa observes, that the shape of the cross extending out into four extremes from their central point of contact denotes the power and the providence diffused everywhere of him who hung upon it. Christendom also says that upon the cross he dies with outstretched hands in order to draw with one hand the people of old and with the other those who spring from the Gentiles. And we'll just finish up these uh, two more reasons. The sixth reason is because of the various virtues denoted by this class of death. Hence, Augustine, in his book on the grace of the Old and New Testament, says, Not without purpose did he choose this class of death, that he might be a teacher of that breadth and height and length and depth of which the Apostle speaks in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. For breadth is in the beam which is fixed transversely above, this appertains to good works, since the hands are stretched out upon it. Length is the tree's extent from the beam to the ground, and there it is planted, that is, it stands and abides, which is the note of longanimity. 
height is in that portion of the tree which remains over from the transverse beam upwards to the top, and this is at the head of the crucified, because he is the supreme desire of souls of good hope. But that part of the tree which is hidden from view to hold it fixed, and from which the entire rood springs, denotes the depths of gratuitous grace. And as Gusting says, the tree upon which were fixed the members of him dying was even the chair of the master teaching. And finally, the seventh reason is because this kind of death responds to very many figures. For as Augustine says in a sermon on the Passion, an ark of wood preserved the human race from the waters of the deluge. At the exodus of God's people from Egypt, Moses with a rod divided the sea, overthrew Pharaoh, and saved the people of God. The same Moses dipped his rod into the water, changing it from bitter to sweet. At the touch of a wooden rod, a salutary spring gushed forth from a spiritual rock. Likewise, in order to overcome Amalek, Moses stretched forth his arms with rod in hand. Lastly, God's law is entrusted to the wooden Ark of the Covenant, all of which are like steps by which we mount to the wood of the cross. And so that's a wonderful, wonderful article uh, that is buried here in the third part of the Summa. That's, again, that's question 46, article 5 in the, in the Tertia Pars of the Summa. And that's buried amidst um, a, a number of articles on the Passion of Christ. I'd like to read another one uh, when we talk about the pain that Christ suffered. But we'll save that for our next episode. Um, and so today we're just finishing up that, that first part of Article 4 um, and talking about Christ's Passion. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And so... That will finish up our episode for day for today. I hope that you will join me again next time in exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a year. I'm Mark Langley. Thank you.